old CW here, the editor, the redditor, the bribable accreditor. Um, we had some issues with Thony's mic in this episode. We are not sure why. Um, but it was a really good episode of Hey Arnold, and we thought that despite the sound problems, uh, it was a perfectly cromulent episode of our show that still deserved to be heard. Uh, we apologize. We actually did get Thony a brand new mic shortly after this episode, so I think in the next couple uh, that'll be coming up, he'll be sounding a lot better. And oh boy, are your listening bits in for just some red velvet goodness. Just pour it on in there or apply it with a uh, cake pop of your choice. Uh, so hope you enjoyed the episode and thank you for listening. Take us out to the disco, all our buddies. Welcome back to the Gerald Field Report. Go ahead and pull up a tall glass of punch and land yourself a hot bag of peanuts in your baseball glove. I, for my part, am the Disco Duck, old CW, and joining me here is the man of La Mancha, slinging Sriracha. It's my little phony. How you doing, uh, buddy? I'm good. Is that what my name in your phone book is? No, they you're still El Tupacabra Deluxe in my phone, which is uh, very confusing for me because our mutual friend EJ is Le Chupacabre because of a separate joke that had to do like shoot like 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 patachou dough like the like the baking dough it's it's yeah. that kind of shoe pacabra and it's it's not funny enough to be worth the confusion that it causes me on an almost daily basis so, like why the fuck is my friend from Arizona talking about talking about this uh this fucking uh series that we're trying to collaborate on. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's a good in-joke when it's nowhere near worth the toll it takes on your daily life. Yeah. So, this week we watched uh, Season 1, Episode 5, uh-huh. Sixth Grade Girls and the Baseball. And this episode was a lot of fun. Um, if you are the type who likes to watch the episode before listening to the program, we salute you. Go ahead and give that a gander on Hulu or your platform of choice. We'll be right here when you're ready. Watch it on Hulu. Watch it. Yeah. No, we're not ready yet. Don't tell him. We'll come back. Okay. I even have told I'm him. Sorry. Watch it on Hulu because Hulu's the the order we're following. So if you watch it on any other That's platform, true. you're going to be like, "Why are they talking about this episode? This episode's like 15 episodes in, not not six or seven That's like true. we are." It's real bad. We're we're it's goozled by the network. But yeah, just go ahead and watch it on Hulu and come on back. I assume you are back now, listeners. It's great to have you here. Go ahead and wrestle up some fiddle-faddle, drag up a stump, and let's get to talking about it. So, I was watching um, Ralph Wrecks the Internet. Ralph Breaks the Internet, forgive me. Everyone knows it should have been Ralph Wrecks the Internet. Why were you watching Ralph Wrecks the Internet? I, I just had it on because I was doing homework and, and needed something, and I hadn't seen it yet, so I put it on. Uh, it was it was fine. It did what it was supposed to do. I liked the bits with the Disney princesses and how they were lampshading how terrible a lot of the Disney princess tropes were. Uh, it was all good. But I was reading the trivia on TV Tropes, and they brought up something that I didn't know how to had a name, and I'm very glad I learned this. On TV Tropes, it's referred to as the DreamWorks face, 
which uh-huh. is when a character in a piece of yeah. media is depicted, usually crossed arms, usually they're standing slightly askance, yeah, usually they've got a smirk kind of in one like, of their eyebrows. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. The look that makes you want to punch someone. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know it had a name, but as soon as I learned that, and I booted up this episode, I'm like, oh, that's what the dudes have in the title sequence. Because when, you know, the two lines, the lines of dudes and lines of girls, all of them have this sort of, oh yeah, we've got tood, we're bad youths. <laughs> and having a name for it made it a lot funnier. <laughs> I thought so. So that's just uh, what I noticed there. First part of the episode, sixth grade girls. Do you want to run through this one or do you want me to run through this one? Yeah, no, I'll give you the rundown. So, the boys are at the pool, they spy a couple of dames, the dames got boyfriends, those boyfriends, they're yutzes. So the dames endeavor to invoke some jealousy from their fellas by, frankly, uh, playing with the hearts of these two poor, young, innocent, sweet summer children. (laughs) Um, They do so successfully, there is a dance party, and eventually the wanton women go back uh, to their schlubby boyfriends, leaving the boys heartbroken, uh, but a little bit wiser and a little bit more confident in themselves. Because at least they were able to provoke some jealous rage out of sixth grade boys, notoriously the most emotionally stable and rational creatures on the planet. So... (laughs) So it starts out at the pool, and the characterization in this show is so fucking strong every single time. Because, like, Arnold and Gerald are standing there, and Arnold says... Hey, do you think they're looking at us? And Gerald just says, it's us, man. They're looking right at us. <laughs> Which, how could you have any doubt? But they absolutely Arnold, have you were. seen us? They absolutely were looking right at them. Yeah, he was correct. Gerald is become a, a Cassandra, unheeded but correct. So I want to talk about their boyfriends. Like, like... God, please. The, the way they're designed looks... Exactly how any kind of bully or douchebag or anything in yeah. the 1990s looked like. You got the one guy, oh, yeah. the curly hair with the douchebag bullet with the kind of rat tail in the back, and you have the other yep. douchey kind of prep school looking guy. Uh, like both of them are just like like the exact stereotype you would think of uh, for yeah. 90s bullies. A real uh, a real Kane Stratterberg from King of the Hill. Yeah. They they have very aggressive features. They're being real, uh, just real schlubs up on the high high uh, diving board, um, provoking their girlfriends to be super annoyed with them. These girlfriends, by the way, who are depicted as ever in this show as being two grades older than Arnold and Gerald, and yet somehow grown ass women, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's actually uh, something I wrote is I have sixth graders, so I've been I've been I've been subbing. I did a long term sub assignment. With a sixth grade class for the last three months. I know sixth graders like the back of my hand. Uh, they're still babies. I have sixth graders yeah. that look like seven year olds. <laughs> like, yeah. like there is no way that these women who are two years older than Arnold and Gerald no. would look any way like There's they no do. universe in which that's true. No, and if like if it wasn't pointed out to us that these were sixth grade girls, they would just look like adult characters in the yes. show. Yes. Yeah, so it's an informed, it's an informed attribute of theirs. I think you could easily see it, like, from the position of a show as an expression of, like, how when you're a kid, every year is important. When you're a kid, there's a reason you're excited to be eight and a half 
instead of just being eight because you're that much closer to nine because it's a big difference. And like I'm, you know, I'm 30 and three quarters, but that's not important to me. It's not a big deal. So the, the gap between, and the gap between fourth grade, cause like if you put a ninth grader and a 10th grader together, basically interchangeable, right? Yes. There are some variations, whatever, but like yeah. the jump from fourth grade to sixth grade is a big gap. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, so what's interesting is with sixth graders, like, half the class is, like, has not hit puberty line yet. So they look like right. 10-year-olds, they look like 9-year-olds. I have one girl in my class that looks like a 7-year-old, acts like a 7-year-old. Right. And then half of the class are prepubescent nightmares, uh, right. voices, and bad attitudes, and stuff like that. But yep. I, I completely like, like, if we take, this show is from Arnold's perspective, right? Like, like, this show shows what, what life is like for Arnold. So for Arnold, um, these are grown ass women. At one point they even said right. they're, they're, they're talking to older women right now. Two years is nothing yeah, they are. like, 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 that's, that's, that's a blip on anybody's radar once you get past high school. Yeah. Like, like but two years is a huge and massive difference. That's, that's elementary school to middle school for us. Like, oh, yeah. like it's, it's wildly, wildly. So yeah, if if they're if they're in fourth grade, they are maybe ten years old, maybe uh, right. So two two years is literally a fifth of their lives. It's understandable. Yeah, yeah. So they've got designs on these older dames uh, who are going to use them to rouse some protective jealousy and some friggin' appreciation out of their chumpus boyfriends. Um, they beckon them over, and one of them called Maria uh, invites them to the dance and writes her address on Arnold's hand, saying, "Por favor, don't be late." Maria is interesting because she is an example in this show that they are making the choice to actively show ethnic characters being actively ethnic without it being like a thing, right? Okay, and this is this is also something very interesting uh, in that same thing. Uh yeah, they never mention that she's she's a different race. She never mentions that she's she's Hispanic like like she is who right. she is. They don't feel the need to explain that. Lampshade it, point it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I found very fascinating, and I remember really thinking about this as an eight-year-old watching this episode, because uh, uh, you have Maria. What's the other one's name? Um, Maria and Connie, I believe. Connie and Maria. One of them is blonde. Uh, the other one is uh, dark and curly hair. So my eight-year-old mind is, well, they match. So, so Gerald oh, should buddy. be with the dark curly haired one and, and Arnold yep. should be with the blonde haired one, uh, because I'm an eight year old and, and right. that's what makes sense in my eight year old brain. So the fact that, that not only is she just like unabashedly Hispanic in this, just like Phoebe is unabashedly Japanese and, and, right. and Lorenzo uh, in later episodes is unabashedly Hispanic. Well, no, they, they make it, they make it a clear and functional and evident part of the character without feeling the need to highlight it. Oh yeah, and then, like, and then, and then they don't stray with normal convention, which is the white person needs to end up with the white person and the, the colored person needs to end up with the colored person. Uh, like, especially for a children's show, especially for a children's show in the 90s, uh, I think it was a pretty yeah. cool thing. I thought so too. It was so. Wait, uh, confirm for me. I actually I was too busy taking notes to notice they they didn't they didn't match up with their with their no Arnold respective Arnold was with skin Maria tones. and and Joe okay. was with Connie was with Connie. Yeah, that is wild. And like I think I think eight year old Phony can be forgiven that because in the early nineties, 
like, obviously there were interracial couples, but you didn't see a lot of them on television. You probably, growing up where we grew up, you probably didn't see a lot of them in real life. So it was, it, it's an understandable assumption. But yeah, good on them. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. I was too busy taking notes on my computer. But yeah, throughout the episode, uh, Maria will rattle off, you know, they'll see us hanging out with those cute little chicos. It'll drive them loco. And it's it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel heavy-handed. Uh, it just feels like this is the way she is. This is how she talks, and y'all can just deal with it. So they endeavor to impress these babes, these older dames. Uh, Gerald arrives at Arnold's pad with his dad's dating trunk, which is a concept that part of me wanted to see fleshed out a lot more, but uh, also I realized that it's probably probably best left as we okay. had it. But there it's is stuff of... I want ahead. to explore about dad's dating trunk. Uh, and this by all means, but this turns back to something else. Uh, throughout the episode, there's one thing that keeps on being mentioned, and that is uh, Arnold and Gerald are pretending to be sixth graders, but they are short, they're tiny, they're That's not best right. Uh So yes. every every so often, someone will be like, "You're in the sixth grade. You're too short to be in the sixth grade." In which Arnold replies, right. "We never ate our vegetables," and Gerald replies, "No cauliflower." Stunted our growth. Yeah, no cauliflower for us. Like like, uh, it's been the thing. So they they pull out their dad's dating trunk. Dad's dating trunk is full of every th- single piece of seventies garb or accoutrement that you can think of. Oh yeah, you've got you've got picks, you've got uh, platform shoes. Uh, you got Nehru jacket. You got yeah. puka shells. Yeah. You got you got some some cologne uh, that is clearly it's actually it's it's called eau de oeufs, which just means egg water. So I don't know if that's like a joke that I missed or something, but it's this clearly supposed to be like a dracar noir, you know, yeah. stand in sort of thing. Okay, so here's here's my thing. This is the dad's dating. Tell trunk, me your thing. Right? This is the dad's yes. dating trunk. The clothes in that trunk yes. are from when Gerald's dad was old enough to date. Why do Correct. they fit the clothes? Thank you! (laughs) Thank you! I had that note, too! It makes no sense! And even... Okay, even if we follow the frankly bonkers line of thought under which Gerald's dad was the same size as his own fourth-grade son during his prime dating years, during his mating season, the rise of Johansson Sr. What? Arnold and Gerald are not the same size! They don't have the same dimensions, but the clothes fit them both! And, like, like my whole thing is, like, they, they took pains in the episode to point out that that not only are these kids small... But they're too small to be sixth graders. Correct. So how the fuck is the dad just as small as they were in his prime dating? Look, it was a different time. You grew up fast, right? You hit those mean streets hard. You could tell by the way he used his walk. He was a woman's man. No time to talk or eat his cauliflower. That's it. His dad never ate his cauliflower either. So the second he his ate, growth. the second he ate a piece of cauliflower, like it was like. Like uh, that scene from Alice in Wonderland where her arms are shooting yes. out of the house. <laughs> Absolutely. If you stop at one bite, you're just stuck like that. You got to eat the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, it's like in Super Smash Brothers. I actually haven't played Smash on the Switch. Is it good? It's good. It's it's uh, the my problem with every Super Smash Brothers game is I'm super into it for like the first two weeks, and then everybody gets sure. bored and doesn't want to hang out anymore, so I stop. I get that. I don't and have never understood gaming as a primarily social activity. Uh, as an only child, it was always a 
by yourself at 3 a.m. in the dark listening to Queen's greatest hits and with Final Fantasy VIII kind of thing. So, like, I like playing games with other people, but the idea of playing a game specifically for it to be a social activity is kind of foreign to me. Yeah, I'm I mean, trying to fix that. Uh, but... my, my first... Uh, I had an NES, but my first, like, real video game memory is my dad bought me Nintendo 64. I had Diddy Kong Racing yeah. then for Christmas one year. Oh, Party Machine. He oh, I my love sister that and I. He bought my sister and I... Uh, Nintendo 64 controllers, so we had a big sure. screen TV. It only came all, with one. Yep, we were all playing video games together. So, uh, like, I understand like video game as a social aspect. I hated it for the most part because a lot of it sure. was we need to take turns as opposed to let's all play together because a lot of the things we had were role playing games. Uh, but sure. with Smash Bros, Smash Bros has always been the party game for me. Like. I right. never played it alone. Like, if I played Smash Brothers, it was with someone else. Uh, almost every other video game I play is not like that. Um, right. Well, and see, that's interesting, because the earlier iterations of it had little to no uh, single-player content. They were designed explicitly to be multiplayer games, yeah. with, like, a single-player campaign where you just fought through all the other characters and then Master Hand at the end. But, um... This new one, I understand, does have a pretty a pretty solid single player. It's the, aspect it's, to it's it. the second time, like like I feel like it's a better storyline than the first the first time they did a, a real storyline, which was for the Wii, the which was Brawl, Brawl, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had Sus- Subspace Emissary, which was a really really fantastic like uh, single player single player or uh, dual player campaign mode. Uh, but uh, this next one really like amps it up by like a thousand, like. Okay. Yeah, especially if you're not a, if you're not a if you're not a social player, uh, I wouldn't spend more than thirty dollars on it if you can find it for thirty dollars. Because once yeah, you're that's done what with I was that, it's it's not going to have much replayability value for you. For me, it's like it's fair. if I'm hanging out with Steve, I'm going to bring my Switch over. We're going to play Smash Bros. Uh, and sure, it'll sit in my oh, I love my Steve. Switch for forever. Yeah, I want to get him on one of these episodes one time. I was going to say we should have Steve on as a guest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of guests, uh, Arnold has one in his room, and it's Gerald, and they're learning how to be cool dudes. Nice! So yes. they pull out this book, Cool Moves for Happening Dudes, which, in the year of our Lord 2019, is a book that would immediately be a red flag and get you uh, mentioned in a very upsetting story on Twitter. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like uh, one of those pickup artist books. It really does. If but, the woman says uh, in no, more innocent that age, means that she wants you to go harder, not... Yeah. It's really? real bad. And that's how you become president. Um, fun, fun timeline fact. We haven't been able to record for a little while, but uh, as we are recording now, it is presently the end of November 2019, and the presidency is imploding, like, faster and even more so than it has been. Okay. So that's been a lot of fun and, and also and terrifying Specifically, specifically, yesterday, you had uh, Trump's adban- uh, ambassador to the European Union, picked by Trump himself, a real Trump hard, uh... Stand up in front of Congress, and his the first words out of his mouth were, "Oh yeah, he totally. This was totally quid pro quo. Quote, absolutely. Yep. I knew it. He knew it. Everybody on the fucking administration knew it. Yep. And yet, nothing so is that's... going to be done. Uh, you guys sitting and listening to this in November of 2020, uh, witnessing the second reign 
uh, four more years of the Trump presidency. So here's the thing. Bite if your I say fucking out, tongue. What the fuck is I wrong say, with you? Why would I you put that evil loud, on this country? If I see it out loud, it's not going to happen. Okay. Just imagine. Uh, right, guys, we'll, we'll have a Twitter by now. Uh, go on to the Twitter. Tell me how wrong I am. But if I'm right, you all owe me a thousand dollars. But just, like, collectively. They can each just, like, pitch yeah. in a, a buck. Yeah, It'll be yeah. fine. That yeah. was a lot of money. Okay, so they're, they're practicing their cool dude lingo, which is, of course, 30 years out of date by this point, which is the funny of it. Hey, mama, you are one out-of-sight freaky chick, and about how a happening dude is always cool and knows the right thing to say, which is hilarious, because that just describes Arnold in his regular life. Yeah. Arnold is... We all wanted to be Arnold. Arnold always knew what to do and what well, to say, but also, is not confident in himself. I love their, like, like that they just embrace these old-timey aesthetics. Like, we're, what, six episodes into the first season, and already they were dressed yep. as, as 60s beatniks. Now they're dressed up as 70s yep. disco men. Uh, they were fruit, fruit before, and fruit are timeless. That's a, you know... Yeah. That's fruit. always a relevant costume. Fruit. So Arnold prevaricates some. He says he doesn't know about this. This uh this trunk full of equipment that would probably get a man on America's Most Wanted doesn't seem like a way to pitch woo to two sophisticated older women who can hang out till like 8 o'clock on a school night if they want to. Gerald does a rousing speech, and eventually Arnold relents under the promise of a kiss from a 6th grade girl, and so begins the learning of the funky dance moves. There's a cut. They arrive at Maria's in their classic disco duds, which are pretty good. Um, forget, tell me, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong here, Tony. Has Gerald shaped his hair into the shape of a top hat? No, it's, it's an afro. Like, he, he, it's an afro. has okay. kind of an afro, but what he has done is right. gave himself an actual 70s afro. It's shortened. Okay, I thought maybe he had also also formed a, a sort of rudimentary brim out of it. Uh, he is wearing a flower shirt and a love medallion, and Arnold is uh, dressing in a way that I did not realize had influenced my own style and fashion choices throughout my childhood and uh, early adult years. Uh, he is wearing a white disco suit with vest uh, and really cool square shades and has his hair back in a really good way. So they look like tiny disco men. They meet Maria's dad. Uh, who is not happy that they're there, which is understandable, but is hospitable and offers them some nuts. <laughs> uh, what I love about this is, is there's this old adage that people date the people that are just like their parents. And the first thing mm-hmm. out of uh, the dad's mouth when trying to call for Maria is, Maria, come over here, which is what her fucking boyfriend said. Oh, shit. That's right. Okay, there is. There's a running thread of Maria's boyfriend saying, Maria, come over here. No, you come over here. No, come over here. And it's like a recurring thing. I didn't even catch that, Thony. Well yeah. done. Thony, so, yeah. I love this. Uh, I'm having too. so much fun. Yeah, this too. Here's something I want to talk about is the kind of sincerity that this yeah. episode's have, this episode has. Like, like... Both halves of this episode, honestly. Like, like... At no point do the girls ever buy into any of what the, the boys are trying to sell them. The girls know they're fourth right. graders. They know they're dorky. They know they're trying their hardest to be cool and adults. And right. what I love about it is they never make fun of the boys for it. They never they never treat no. the boys badly for the choices they're making. Um, there's a scene nope. right after this where they're in a they're in a cab uh, and they're trying they're freaking out because. Uh, 
well, gentlemen have to pay for their women. That's that's the rule that's in the book. And they have like four right. cents between them. And how the hell are they going yeah, to pay for that? Graders. How the hell are they going to pay the six dollars for the cab fare? Uh, and at one point, while this is happening, uh, it's very, very subtle. Like, I didn't even notice this a few, first few times. Uh, Connie glances over at them. She's not saying anything. She's what? glancing over at them, freaking out, trying to to figure out what they should be doing. Uh, doesn't say anything. It's a very, like, like very, very brief scene. But, but she... I, I, like, one thing that I think is they really are appreciating what these boys are trying to do. Like, like... How would you feel if you you invite a little kid on a date and and right. they start freaking out because they're trying to come up with money so they can pay your cab fare? Uh... When you knew exactly like like it, it made me feel like that that awe feeling just just watching these girls interact with these boys. So I, that's an excellent point. I didn't catch that. Well done because I was too busy typing. Um, yeah. But like I I really like that they actually the the book. They brought the book with them because nothing says cool dude who knows how to show a lady a good time like bringing a book on a date. But uh, they pull it they pull it down from the footwell of the cab and just have like a little soliloquy where they they both huddle around it very clearly yeah. <laughs> and, and just nobody notices. But that's where they get this idea. And then the girls uh, they pay without comment because they are grown women. They are mature adult women who have money and know what's going on. It's also like six bucks, which is not a lot of money. But that's that's kind of besides the point. Well, they're eleven year olds. Six bucks is a lot of money for an eleven, especially in an inner city. Yeah, no, absolutely. The thing the thing about it is that even though they are nice to the boys, even though they are never outright cruel, they still they still selected them because they thought these boys would be the biggest insult to their boyfriends. I don't think so. I no, I don't think. I mean, I think that the insult to them was was. Dating fourth grade. The fact that it was happening? Okay. I don't think this is, this is not like a, a taking a pig to the prom kind of situation where, oh, let's get the most right. obnoxious, grossest person. They're not in Nebraska. Uh, here's what I think. The boys are douchebags. Like, like clearly the mm-hmm. two guys are douchebags. They're sixth grade boys. Yes. So, they picked someone who is the opposite, like, like, okay. So they are doing it to publicly shame their boyfriends. But it's not because right. these are tiny kids. Oh, look, we're having a better time with these tiny kids. It's that these nine-year-olds know how to treat women. Know how to treat these a lady. These nine-year-olds right. okay. are giving us a fantastic date. These nine-year-olds are treating us the right. way we want to be treated as These as are gentlemen. Women. These boys, yeah, they're yeah. gentlemen. They are, they are sweet, they are young, and... And I think that's the reason they're they're dating young people, and they don't like that. But I also feel like these are the two kind of guys that it doesn't matter who they're dating. They could be dating 15-year-olds. The boys are still going to be yeah. pissed off and, and irritated at, at the two girls for doing it. Um, that's a point. So I, I, I really don't think this was vindictive of them. I think they both had a really good time. Okay. Uh, and I think yeah, they did. That's 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 highlighted that everyone, uh, the girls had a lovely time. The the boys take notice immediately, and like 
Arnold and Gerald have a great time too. They they start dancing and like the setup for the joke, the ball that's put on the tee is because they learned dance moves from a 30-year-old book or a 20-year-old book at this point. I guess if it was the early 90s from the 70s, like the the setup for the joke is that these moves are hilariously out of date and they're going to be made a laughing stock of, but actually the boogie commences and the dudes their moves are a smash hit. Everybody has a great time. You know why? Because even sixth graders have no fucking concept of the linearity of time or the fact that dance trends change from year to year. Well, it's 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 fascinating you say that. I know this is this is going to run completely off topic, uh, but hit it in my sixth grade class. I had a conversation with a veteran teacher because I was just getting so frustrated with how badly misbehaving my students are, and. Mm-hmm. She's what she told me like really was profound. As sixth graders, up until this point in their life, they have had no real concept of time. Uh, right. In elementary school, um, especially with the way of elementary school runs in California, I don't know where people are listening in in other states, but there was no such thing as right. periods. You were with teacher, your teacher, from the beginning of school till the end All of day. school. And there were no delineations Correct. between periods. Uh, you would just kind of move throughout the day. You wouldn't be paying attention to From one subject. Okay, to another. Sure. okay, hour and a half, and then we're at math. Hour and a half, we're at science. Hour and a half, we're. It was just okay, math time. Okay, science time. Okay, English. Blah 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 blah. So as sixth graders, uh, this is the first time sixth graders have like a concept of there is time now. There's Structured periods, time. There is right. So, I don't know, when you just said they're 11-year-olds, they don't have any real concept of time, I'm like, yeah, they absolutely don't. They just learned about this in the class. Yeah. No, that's an excellent point that I had never considered before. Yeah. God, I love this show. This is yeah. good shit. I would listen to this. Yeah. We're good at this. We Tony, are. I miss you. I'm so glad we're doing this. Yeah, dude. So I wish we did this more often. The boys are a smash hit. Everybody has a wonderful time. Uh, the boyfriends are taking notice, and they do not appreciate it. One of them is at the punch table. <laughs> And he does a shot of punch and says, hit me again, Melvin. And Melvin says, I think perhaps you've <laughs> had enough, sir. I'll tell you when I've had enough. <laughs> and I, that's a trope that always hits me is treating non-alcoholic drinks like they're booze. That gets me every time. Yeah, it's like, it's my favorite joke in Back to the Future, in all three of them, which are good, legitimately hilarious movies. My favorite moment is when George McFly just goes in and says, Jerry, give me a milk. Chocolate. And it just slides down the bar into his open hand. It's the funniest goddamn thing. I love it so much. But yes, these boys are getting plastered off that good, good punch, which, depending on how inner city they are, might actually be spiked. Um, So... The boyfriends are very cheesed off. The dudes, Arnold and Gerald, have have no knowledge of any of this. They just think, and again, it's important to highlight that distinction, because the entire story is told from the perspective of, like, like, most of the stories are told from Arnold's point of view, roughly, and we are experiencing what he experiences. But with this one, it's pulled back, and we're seeing the whole thing at once. And the boys are not seeing what we are seeing. So they don't know that these guys are mad at them. They don't know that they're being weaponized, essentially, for their adorableness. But uh, Los Estupidos confront the boys, W slash R slash T, their intentions towards their women. Uh, the peacocking begins immediately, and some kids start chanting fight, 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 like has never happened in real life ever once. Actually, tell me, is that, does that happen, teacher? Yeah, yeah, Do absolutely. kids shout, chant, chant, fight, fight, chant? It's, oh. 
I don't say fight, 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 but it's definitely like, like, you know a fight's happening, like, five seconds after right. it happens. Doesn't matter if it's across campus or whatever. By, by the time a fight happens, everybody knows that a fight is happening. The energy changes? Yeah, like, like, what happened, I mean, I, I went to a public school that was pretty bad. You, sure. you went to Desert Christian, right? So. Which was pretty bad, but in its own ways, yes. But, but so, like, like, what would happen is if there was a fight, everybody would surround, everybody would, like, be a giant circle, people would be, like, like, right. like it would almost become, like, a riot, almost instantaneous. Yeah. Uh, people get... Two men enter, one man leaves. No, but, like, like, almost the entirety of the school would, would be, like, 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 into it. Wild. Frenzied, and, and, yeah. So I don't think I've ever heard people yell, fight, 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 but... Right, but that was the expression of that real-life energy. Yeah, exactly. Okay, a visual shorthand for that. Um, I'm reading Lord of the Flies to my missus at bedtime right now, and uh, I'm I'm getting very strong vibes from that. These these two boyfriends seem like real, uh, real kill-the-pig, cut-her-throat types. I've never read the book. But they're dragged out. It's pretty good. It's, uh, I hadn't read it since I was a kid. It's really beautifully written. Like, it's really florid. Um, there's just a lot of really very beautiful language that I appreciate. At one point, a character is looking out to the ocean and they describe seeing peacock water, which I thought was an absolutely lovely phrase. And I think that's probably supposed to counterpoint, you know, like the brutality of what the boys descend into. Um, it's good. I'm enjoying it a lot. Not the greatest thing to read at bedtime, not because of the content, but just because, like, it is about the slow degradation of these boys from relatively civilized kids who are, you know, one step away from being animals in the first place into full-blown savages. So yeah. it's it's just, it's kind of a slow read, even though it's a very short book. But uh, no, check it out. It's really good. So they start fighting, and Gerald says, look, you're dudes, we're dudes. And Arnold says, can't we just work something out? And Los Estupidos say, nah, we gon' we gonna fuck you up. Make, you know, put up your dukes. And... As always, there's this cultural implication that our boys have stolen Los Estupidos women, rather than the objective truth of the matter that everyone is aware of, except the two boys, which is that the girls invited them out of spite and somehow bear no responsibility for this. And I'm not saying, like, blame the women, rah, rah, rah. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, nobody at any point... Like, like, points out the fact that nobody snaked these girls out from under these yeah, dudes. But, like, but it, I, I don't know. It was just, it's just weird that, like, these boys believe they are being stepped out on by right. their women, but, and but, they take issue with the step and not the stepper. But what's what's fascinating is, uh, I'm like, like, we're talking about this is like the stereotype, whatever. These men feel like they own the women, but at the end of the day, right. the women are the ones who saved the day. Uh, they, Point. the boys don't fight for the, the hand of the women. The women are like, no, fuck you guys. We chose to be with them. We wanted to be with them. You guys right. are being douchebags and that's why we didn't hang out with you. So, so maybe if you guys treated us better, we wouldn't have been with these kids. Right. More like women and less like possessions. Yeah. Well, the girls have realized that a fight is happening. They come out. Uh, Maria says, what goes on here? And I like that a lot. 
that sounds like a very realistic, just like linguistic thing. Uh, it was just a small moment, but, but it made me very happy. So they break up the fight immediately. Maria and Connie chastise Los Estupidos, who admit they were jealous and are banished to the bus stop to await the end of the date. The crowd disperses. The girls apologize for leading the boys on, and the boys are rightfully hurt to be called pretty cool for fourth graders, but they are consoled uh, to be told that one day, if they stay as sweet as they are now, maybe Connie and Maria will be looking their way. They receive chaste, genuinely affectionate cheek kisses, and they are satisfied because a man in the desert must take such water as he is offered. And so they come away having grown a little sadder, but a little taller and a little wiser. I don't think so. I think they, they didn't come out sadder. I think... I think uh, no? No. Like, like, here's the thing. They're nine-year-old boys, and uh, I think both of them realized at the beginning that, that whatever was happening was way out of their league. And I think they both were just kind yeah. of riding the wave. Happy to be there. crashed <laughs> upon them. Like, like... Uh, yeah. So Arnold just wanted to kiss that night. He didn't want a relationship. He wanted to be kissed by an older woman. That's a point. That's exactly what happened. And to he him. got what he wanted. And, and so not yeah, only at that, at no but, point did they have any idea what was happening. But, yeah. And, and, but not only that, but the two of them like walked away with their self esteem higher. Like they were perfect True. gentlemen. The women told them that they were perfect True. gentlemen. Uh, they talked about how cute they were. They said that women are going to be looking at you for the rest of your lives and continue to act this way. So keep acting this way. Right. And then you're like, listen, the only problem with us being in a relationship is the age difference. So let's get older. Let's get to a point where the age difference isn't a big deal and uh, we can right. talk again. So they had their hopes renewed. They had their spirits uplifted. They had their their egos boosted. Like I think they, they got uh, as much as they wanted out of you know what? Fair. Yeah, I'm 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 with you on this one. I'll I'll hop over to your side. I was I was worried about them like feeling used, but you're right. Like they didn't lose anything. Like there was no damage here. Then <laughs> they they came out certainly ahead of where they were with their badges of manhood upon their cheeks. Well done. You're right. The, even though it was potentially serious, not not serious serious, but like kid serious subject matter. This was a, a lighter popcornier episode that ended up being a lot of fun and i don't know the the girls admitted that they still like even though they were intentionally publicly shaming their boyfriends they still very much wanted them to be their boyfriends i think it's i think it's that that especially as 11 year old especially like you date who your parents are like you made that joke earlier um like, right I think these women, like, uh, I keep on calling them women. They're girls. They're 11-year-old girls, despite what they're drawn like. Well, yeah, they're framed as being women in the context of the story. They're essentially women. So they, they're they 11-year-olds, and 11-year-olds don't know how to date. Yeah. And, and I they know do one not. of the common, the common aspects of a young relationship is the, the desire to change the person you are with. Uh, and a lot of right. people specifically date people who are tough cases because I'm the person who's going to change that. Now, I don't think this is the right. case for the two. I think I think there's the banter between the two of them. And, and you know, what we see of them is is just this specific moment. Uh, you don't know right. how they treat them in normal aspects. They're just being dumb right now. And, and in fact, the boys were doing nothing malicious uh, to the women when the women decided that they were 
not going to take that. So, who the fuck knows? Yeah, they were just being dumb kids. Well, and I think that's that's probably a factor, or a reflection, rather, of the fact that, especially at that age... Uh, girls tend to mature emotionally faster than boys do, or if not, yeah. if not, I, 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 mature isn't necessarily the word, but their their emotional sensory organs are definitely broader and more sensitive, especially at that age. And of course, there's the cultural thing that like girls are allowed to talk about their feelings and try to understand how they actually feel. And sixth grade boys, like those depicted, have nothing. They have no emotional tools at their disposal except shoving their friend off the high dive to try to impress their girlfriend yeah any other final thoughts no uh i liked it it was a good time yes final thought yes final thought i do have a final thought it's at the very beginning of the episode when they were at the pool arnold does the most bitchingly cool dive i have ever seen in my life i think about it at least once a week it's where he's he's standing on the diving board he's facing the pool he jumps he jumps forward listener standing vertical but then does a backflip from that position keeping his legs sort of straight and ends up just doing a perfect dive it's like a front facing forward backflip it's the wildest fucking thing i've ever seen in my so, life it blew my mind when i was eight years old and it blew my mind today i i don't think that 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 dive would be possible just based on the no the issues with aerodynamics in his head no no no, and well, and the fact that he stopped moving mid-air, which is necessary to pull it off. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not a realistic dive. It's definitely not something that young Casey injured himself a great many times trying to pull off in his own pool at home in Lancaster. <laughs> but that was a good one. So, yes. the second half of the episode we've got is the baseball. Do you want to run us through the baseball? Yep. So, Arnold is really bad at sports, which is a common theme in a lot of these episodes. And something that I love mm-hmm. that uh, he's, like, 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 it's never really addressed. He could, he's never, like, ostracized. He's never chastised for playing sports. He's bad at them. Everybody knows right. he's bad at them, but he's still allowed to play, which I think is really good. Uh, Arnold's bad at sports. They're playing baseball. He's about to be struck out. Uh, Gerald invokes the name of his hero, uh, imbuing Arnold with the powers of his hero. Much like, mm-hmm. uh, a young Billy Batson, uh, is imbued with the powers of Shazam, uh, when those names yep. are spoken. Um, he hits a homer that is, like, goes further than most major league baseball players I've seen hit homers. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the name of his yeah. hero is Mickey Kaline, uh, famous, uh, baseball player, famous batter. Um, uh, they're like, oh, wow, Arnold, how did you do it? He's like, well, I just thought about being Mickey Keyline, and then I fucking rock. Yes. <laughs> Which I wish, like, most <laughs> I just thought about you just thought about being good at baseball. Why do you yeah. guys act like this is so hard? <laughs> yeah, this is exactly what I... Uh, uh, Arnold goes and talks about his hero, uh, talks about the, the batting average, like, all the amazing things that this guy does. Uh, finds out that he's actually pretty bad at baseball now. He's been doing it for years. Yes. And is going to retire the next day. Arnold sets out to uh, go to the baseball game, uh, comes up with the money uh, to go to the baseball game, uh, has really bad seats, uh, decides to do what all kids want to do if they have really bad seats, sneak to the front uh, to see the yeah, show. Just completely uh, abandon the social the order. and <laughs> yep. uh, Manages, while running from the cops, to catch uh, Mickey Kaline's uh, flying baseball in the stands. Uh, it's a prize possession. His last hit, his last game ever. Uh, very, very like, 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 uh, interesting, coincidental that Arnold happened to be there 
to catch the last yes on the ball. Anyways, he takes the ball home. Uh, everybody wants it. He feels sad because the old man doesn't have any kind of memorabilia for his last game. Goes and returns the ball to Mickey Kaline, in which they have probably the most touching scene uh, in the entire series, in which they play baseball yeah. and they play catch with each other uh, and reminisce. And he just tells them old baseball stories. Yeah, it's probably my favorite. Yeah. It's scene a good one for a lot of reasons. Entire fucking series. I really loved this little half bit here. I loved this story because. We've we've talked before about how one of the main things to love about this series and one of the big risks it took skewing to the to an audience this young is that it is not afraid to embrace the melancholy of childhood. Yeah, um like Arnold is right at that line where he's he's just a little too old to purely selfishly enjoy things. Cause like Fourth grader, what did we say? Nine, maybe ten years old. Yeah. If you give even a, if you give even a six or a seven year old this baseball and say that this is a holy artifact, this is the last hit from the last game of this this god in this sport, and he is very sad. The little kid would go, "I don't fucking care. I got me a magic ball, and it's awesome." Yeah. But he's Arnold gonna he's gonna take too mature for that. He's gonna take that ball to a sandlot group. They're gonna play baseball. Knock it over the fence. It's going to be Correct. by a giant dog, and they're going to have. They're going to put to together an erector set machine. <laughs> yep, you've been really enjoying that Disney Plus subscription, haven't you, buddy? <laughs> Fucking love '90s baseball movies, <laughs> and this invokes a lot do. of those feelings that those movies do. Guys, if you haven't yet watched uh, Rookie of the Year, watch The Sandlot. Sure. Um, there yeah. was another one I was thinking of. Bad like, News Bears. Bad News Bears. No, that's the 70s. Field of or Dreams. 80s. Field of Dreams that technically counts. It's a sad boy and his dad and baseball. I'm just naming every baseball movie I can think oh, of. Oh, Angels I, in not, the Outfield. Not, Angels in the Outfield. Fucking Angels in the Outfield. I saw that in the theater and I knew it was garbage. Come on. Doesn't Roger matter if Dangerfield. it's garbage. It's still... Gary Busey's in fucking Rookie of the Year. <laughs> Is he really? Yes. That's wild. He's he's a, a crazy-ass person. No. Yes, but who does he play in the movie? He plays the best baseball player in the movie. It's, that was funnier than you acted, uh, you fucker. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm not familiar with baseball movies so much, so it's interesting that you're seeing a lot of shapes here that I didn't. Um, I liked a bit early on... No, I'm not. I'm where... not seeing shapes in these movies. I'm just talking about... These. You mentioned you mentioned a, a, a nine-year-old isn't going to have any put any value on an expensive ball. Which right, which is lot. yeah. Well, speaking of balls, uh, a thing I liked is that what really what really sparks the whole thing is that Harold has a ball that it made me really happy. Harold talks about how it's just you and your little stick against my brand new triple stitched imitation league baseball, and the ball is written. It's marked genuine imitation, which <laughs> makes me very happy because that is exactly the kind of bullshit that a kid would fall for. <laughs> And Arnold, like, and that's the thing. Anytime Harold is like, like, shit talked Arnold, bad stuff has happened to him. Uh, like the pilot yep. episode, which we actually haven't watched yet, uh, because the pilot episode got reworked into a later season episode. Uh, what the Arnold, fuck? Which one's the pilot episode? Uh, Arnold's crazy. It's the one where oh, Arnold, that's right. You should it's never be a crazy person. Yeah. 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 So, like, and I actually, like, if you guys really want to go back, try to find the pilot episode. 
it looks like the look is even completely different than uh, the, really? uh, the show we have. Yeah, like I think Look color choices are different. The production notes. Stuff like that. Uh, it's pretty cool. Huh. Um, there's a bit in this that I really want to talk about. So Arnold hits the ball. Uh, everybody's super impressed. Yes. Someone says, who's Mickey Kaline? And there's a lot of things that I yep. like about this. Is is All of Arnold's close friends collectively roll their eyes at him at the same time. Yep. Arnold then... Gerald says, now you've done it. Arnold then, and I really want to know, like, like the, the yep. how this works. He pulls out exactly a fucking safe say. from his bag a safe. and sets it down. A safe, a safe, like, 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 even if it's a tiny safe, that has to be weigh like at least half of what this kid fucking weighs. And see, here's the thing: like in in real life, if this took place in our world, that safe would almost certainly be the kind you would get out of like the Oriental trading catalog or some catalog that, you know, you got as a kid that you were really excited to get but didn't, you know, full of novelties and shit like that. And it would be like one of those little, really shitty metal safes that had, you know, it had the combination on there and uh, it had a slot to be a coin bank and it had a key to get in the back and you thought, yes, my savings will be secure. And one day, that fancy metal detector will be mine. But, like, because this is a... Because this is a an animated medium with an animation budget from 1994 in its first season, it looks like a bank safe. It doesn't yeah. look like a shitty little kid's toy safe. It looks like something that a magician would climb into yeah, and like, then get dropped into like, a river like, and never be heard from again. You see Arnold open up the door, and, like, that door has got to be, like, four inches thick. Like, there's some weight yes. to it. Like, this is not something that's easily broken into. This is, like... No, this is an actual safe. Which begs the question, how the fuck is Arnold carrying a, a obviously heavy safe in his bag? Yep. Just, just, because uh, here's the thing. Arnold wants to protect his, his baseball card. He wants to, he knows Correct. the value of that baseball card. But not enough to leave if it at home. He needs to carry it with him everywhere. <laughs> well, yeah, he's got to make sure it's safe. In the safe. Yeah, well, you know what it is? It's made, his his burden is made light by the power of the holy icon that lies within. So he opens up the safe, he pulls out his laminated Mickey K-Line rookie card, and see, here's the thing. This, I don't know anything about baseball. I don't know anything about baseball cards, I don't know anything about the career trajectory of baseball mans. I don't know anything about that. But it seems to me that if this baseball man was a legend in his own lifetime... And enough that this little kid knows about it, he probably actually wasn't that good. Like, I mean, he's a household name, maybe, but he's not like... Because Arnold makes him out to be a deity of the home plate, right? And I feel like that's probably not actually the case. So he's got this card, and I feel like it's the kind of thing where he's a little kid, and he's got this thing that he's convinced, no, this man is the best there is. I have laminated his card, you see. And he rattles off the stats. I wish either of us knew anything about baseball stats, because he... Uh, he, he I actually, does... I'm going to look it up. Hold on. Mickey. Look that shit up, yeah. Okay, because right. the implication I got was that he was rattling off these numbers like they were incredible, untouchable statistics, but they were probably just really average or slightly better than average. Uh, there's an article. Uh, we're going to post this on Twitter. Uh, how good was Mickey K-Line at baseball? <laughs> That's so fucking good. God, I love 90s, 90s kids. Thank you so much, Internet. Uh, well, okay, so so yesterday, MLB.com's 
Cut Foresight published an article with yeah. the title, Mickey Callan is actually the best baseball player of all time. Wait, yesterday? Uh, this was the day before no, we recorded this. This was this was March fifth, two thousand nineteen. In the article, oh okay, it says uh, so. If you consider yourself a huge baseball fan, I don't know who uh, no, blah blah blah. Uh, so, right. does it say whether or not Mickey Kaline, like the name, was a reference to any particular person? Because I thought because you've got Mickey Mantle there, and I thought Kaline is. I think it's Mickey Mantle. Right. K-Line is vaguely Jewish, and there there is a tradition of Jewish baseball players, of course. So it says K-Line's career average was .299. Finishing with an average would put okay. him tied for 204th of all-time batting average list. He'd be tied for Michael Young, blah, blah, blah. Home runs. Had 533 career home runs before he would go on. Uh, that, so... Uh, 534 would put him at the 19th of all, of all time list of home runs. Okay. Uh, okay. So when you factor in his batting average, only six of those 19 players have better, better averages than K-Line's .299. So of the okay. other players, he is above them. Uh, okay, The longevity of it. knows his shit. Uh, he kind of tells Arnold that he once faced legendary pitcher Bob Gibson in the World Series. So, here's the big thing. Gibson played in three okay. World Series, the last one being in 1968. Okay. It is 1996 in this episode. Okay, so so Mickey Kaline is minimum, like, 55, right? Yeah, if he was a rookie during the 68 World Series, that would give him a career of 30 years in their major leagues at his time of retirement. So... Playing 20 years is considered a long career, so adding nine more is a ridiculous okay. number. So, and here's why it's impressive, and why that .299 is very impressive. Like, okay, your your stats decrease as you get older. You're not going to be as good as you were in your prime. The fact that he was able right. to keep that consistent of an average of 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 his bats at bats. I don't know what the point two nine nine means. Uh, I, I can't tell you what that is, but uh, right. But you do know what that what the consistency of that statistic is pointing toward, yeah. which is that this man is consistently a power. Okay, so Arnold's adoration is well earned and well placed. This guy is not, in fact, just some chump nobody who this kid has attached himself to for some ridiculous reason. Yeah, I'm gonna post uh, both of these up on the Twitter. He's a fucking good player. And he's old. He's been playing baseball for fucking 30 years. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's rough. I didn't know. I knew that baseball players had a longer, had more longevity than like football players and similar, but I didn't, I didn't really know what that time span would reasonably be. Yeah, that's, that's too long to be playing a sport. So Arnold wants to go see the last game, uh, but he doesn't have the, Arnold and Gerald, but they don't have the money. So Arnold is counting his money. Um, Phil, grandpa, points out, well, hey, what about the money you got from that dog washing business? And I have like three things I need to say about this. But first, Arnold goes to get a jar that is labeled "This is not money." Okay, thank you. Which so so I have that written out just in big bold letters. Yep, this is not money. I don't remember why it's I so wrote good. that out, but it was important for me to write this out. <laughs> That's very good. Yes, and that one joke. This is not money 
informed so much of who I was as a kid, it's ridiculous. But while Arnold is off getting that money, Phil tosses a handful of cash into Arnold's pile on the desk. Which is, like, I've seen this episode a million times. We all have. Nickelodeon's Bread and Butter was reruns. But, like, for all the times I've seen this, and I specifically remember that scene, I have never noticed that that's what Phil did before. Really? So, that's a very sweet gesture. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I never always, caught that. I've always done that. Well, that's why he's like, wait, I had a 50 in there, and then runs away, because... Exactly. Is it? Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to talk about a couple things of that. First of all, I really love that Phil references. Well, what about that dog washing business you had, which is not something that takes place in an episode. That is not something we have seen. But it is. It's a very realistic. Like it's it's something that would happen in an episode, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. just a really great way of fleshing this out. I don't know. It just made me really happy. I don't it's really like, have the terms to describe it, how or why. It's like the watermelon in Buckaroo Banzai. It is established canon that everybody in the universe knows about, uh, and it's assumed right. that us, the watchers, should know about it too, whether or not that actually happened in an episode. Right. It just it fleshes out the. It's a little bit of world building that I enjoy. Very much. It makes me happy for reasons I can't entirely pin down. But, um, yes. So, uh, Arnold's bookshelf, I paused on to see what he's got going there. Uh, he has three books on his shelf next to his jar of not money. He has a book on famous football players. He has a spelling book and a book labeled Elvis, the Vegas years. <laughs> so, that's about right. Oh, guess. Arnold, you're so fucking cool. Ugh. God. Yeah. yeah, and Arnold gets real excited and he takes off and Phil reflects that all it takes to make a kid happy is an extra five bucks. Hey, wait a minute, I had a fifty in here. Arnold, come back! Yeah, and so here's what I don't understand. Like like Arnold, like, you see Arnold pour the money out. Like like at uh, no point at any time did he ever have a fifty. Like he should be aware right. of that. Like like yeah. he should have been like, Grandpa, did you give me fifty dollars? Then say he's like, Oh, I have enough now. That's another thing. I don't know. Maybe this is an experience unique to me, Tony. You can you can let me know if this is a universal thing or not. But, like, when I was a kid and I was saving up money for, you know, whatever thing I wanted, and I put it in a box or I put it in a jar, I put it somewhere secret and safe, because as a sixth grader, you are, of course, concerned about the thieves who will break into your home and steal the $25 you've been saving up for that Game Boy. But, like, if I did that, I never forgot about that shit. Like, Arnold forgot he had this dog-washing money. In what universe does a kid forget that they have money? Because money is this technology. Money is a magic that adults have that kids do not. And when they get a tiny taste of it, they go mad with power. So I just, I, and maybe, maybe it's just a nod to Arnold not being materialistic, uh, and just being about more than, you know, dollar dollar bills and et cetera, but just the idea that he didn't remember he had money and that as you point out, he didn't realize, oh yes, I, how did I not notice that 50? I didn't see 50 fucking dollars until I was a teenager, dude. Come on. I, like, I don't know. Ridiculous. I, I had a different, like, experience with money. I was poor. And Tell I didn't me. Really ever have like disposable money, so I never like saved sure. up for anything. I feel like when I did have mm. money, like Christmas money or birthday money, my parents just kept it and bought me what I needed when I wanted. Um, so huh. I have no idea. Like I never like. Uh, it wasn't until yeah, I would say high school that I I got my first job at fourteen. Uh, so at that point, I had mm-hmm. all my own money, and I knew all the money things that I wanted to do. Uh, but what was your first job? I was a sign waiter. 
Very nice. Okay. Oh, so this was a fish. Okay, so when you said first job, you don't mean like I'm I'm your neighborhood handyman, and I'm a kid that you're gonna give money to because I'm adorable. Like you mean like you like you sign you were hired to do yeah, this. I had a work permit. Like it was crazy. I super impressed the guy. That Holy I shit! I was 14 years old. Like I beat out a bunch of like 17 year olds just because I was ready and willing to work. Wow! And I got paid ten dollars an hour. You were a go getter. I was making like it for a fucking 14 year old. A hundred dollars a week was bonkers oh my like, god like like yeah no, you were a millionaire that's all the money in the yeah. world it's the fantastic it was fucking fantastic wild about a, huh. how cool about i didn't a, get my first job till i was 16 17 yeah. something huh wild well they get to the baseball stadium quigley field shut up hey arnold you're adorable <laughs> Um, and they do not have enough money for anything except the seats. Um, they have enough for a couple of cheap bleacher seats. I had more, but Grandpa took his 50 back. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, like, at the time seems petty and mean, but, like, as a grown-up, yeah, dude, give me that 50 back. <laughs> Gerald irritates me. Really fucking irritates me in this city. Yes. Gerald's like, well, at least if I can get uh, hot dog and some sodas... And I was like, popcorn. Dude, dude, I have barely enough for these seats. He was like, well, that's not fair. I should be able to enjoy myself on this free baseball day that my friend has spent all of his money touching me to. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Gerald's being a real dick about it. Just he feels real entitled to everything that the world can provide him on Arnold's dime. And in fairness, like, we're never really given an indication of the the Shortman family's uh, economic status, like you know, Phil and Gertie own a like a boarding house, and Arnold always has always has really cool shit up in his room. So it's reasonable to assume that they're fairly well off. But like Gerald has parents, <laughs> like I just feel like it would be more reasonable to expect him to have any amount of money on him and yeah. be able to spend it. Well, no, but his yeah, dad, his dad right. is. Gerald's- his dad is a canonical, like, cheap ass. Like, there's an entire episode of oh, how is much he? his dad does not want to spend Shit, okay, fair enough. Then that's in keeping with character. But it also clangs then, because if you're if you're a child who grows up cheap, you don't expect other people to spend money on you. That's not how that works. Whatever. So they uh, are approached by a super sketchy scalper. And when I say super sketchy, I mean like his character model looks like it came from another show. That's yeah. how slimy like they, they made this dude look. He offers them tickets on the cheap so that they can eat and see the game from Section Q, which is roughly in the ionosphere. I, I just, like, I need to point out that in no ever situation that was what would happen. Like, scalpers no. don't sell things for less money. That defeats the purpose of That's a not scalper. Like, like, what, did he, yeah. like, find these tickets? And uh, These tickets are awful. These are the most awful tickets, and I can't believe... Like, I have a hard time believing that any stadium is designed this way. <laughs> yeah, that's with, not how that works. With a um, pillar right in front of two seats. Like, like no, no. No, there's no poor shitty planning that involves us building a pillar right in the middle of our of our, our, our Well, you know what, Phony? I think it's safe to say that in a city that has scalpers this incompetent, I mean, the competence of their civic engineers is also, it's also up for debate. So, 
That's the situation they find themselves in, but they are able to afford some good, good park snacks. Gerald has a foam finger on his hair, which is pretty good. It makes me real happy. I like to think that he, like, just didn't have the hands to carry it, and so he's like, I'll just put this up here for a second, and he forgot it was there. Say, oh, they try to get peanuts, but like everything in their bad day, uh, the peanuts fall down these conspicuously uh, peanut-sized grates right underneath their In the floor, yep. Yeah. So, here's the thing. In every baseball thing, ever, somebody says, hey, peanuts here, and somebody throws them peanuts or a hot dog or whatever. Nobody ever pays for that shit. And that confused the hell out of me when I was a kid. That's not how that works. You have to go up to the vendor and give them money first. Because, as we learned in the in the episode of King of the Hill with Jimmy Witchert, if they don't get the money for the product they give you, it comes out of their check, and a man in a hot dog suit berates you with his badly functioning calculator. Actually, like, like slinging peanuts is a thing. I'm not sure how, the, the, like, how it works in terms of pay. I think eventually the guy will come up and collect the funds. But uh, no. I was at... Uh, I, n- nonsense. Philippe's. I'm not arguing with you. I'm saying that's a bad model. Uh, I was at Philippe's, which is a world-famous uh, French dip uh, roast beef sandwich place in Los Angeles. Uh, the creator of the sure. French dip sandwich. But I remember sitting right next to a bunch of uh, news articles about the best peanut slinger, slinger in L.A. This guy's been doing it for like sure. 30 years. Like, he can, oh he can throw a, pe- a peanut from, like, the bottom row all the way up into your hand with, like, precise aim. Okay. It's crazy. I have no idea. Maybe it's, it's, it's like, he throws the peanuts until he's out of his wares, and then he leaves, like, his merchandise behind or something and goes and walks up instead of having to climb up with all that food. I don't know. I don't no, know. No, because then he's got to remember who, to whom he slung nuts. And it's like, know. nah, uh-uh. It's, it's, I don't know. Whatever. I think it's I think it's a thing you see in TV that doesn't happen in real life. It does. Like, Either like, that or... There's definitely, like, I definitely read articles about a peanut singer in Dodger Stadium. Okay. Well, you also just read an article about a fictitious baseball player's unbeatable record. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not here to argue with Tony, but I, it's, I don't, I don't know. So, listeners, hit us up. If you know, if you know about the intricacies of, of peanut slinging in baseball stadiums, please tweet us, at us, let us know. So, they're sitting behind a pillar, um, the crowd gets to stomp, stomp, stomping, and some plaster falls on Arnold's head, uh, which leads to my favorite joke in the whole episode. It just goes splat on his noggin, and he just looks straight dead forward and says, Did some plaster just fall on my head? And they just move past it. And I don't know why, but that is a joke structure that gets me every time, and I love it. So they decide that they're done with these crappy seats, and do what all kids would do. Oh, Arnold decides this. Uh, they go and they get better seats. And they are yep. immediately caught, like immediately. Yeah, the as second is they correct. step down into the bat, the other level, those guys are like, "No, you kids are not supposed to be here." And uh, they're yeah. pretty incompetent. They don't know what they're doing. They they have no, no like, methods or procedures about how to capture kids. Uh, which I mean, that's what their job is, right? Their job is to make sure people who are coming down don't sit in these spots, like. They should yeah, be better us, at catching dudes, the come on. They should be better at catching the children that they that have snuck into their rows. But no, instead they run off, run off, right as Mickey Kaline himself is coming up to bat. Um, he hits the ball, he swings, and it is a home run into the bleachers. And who so happens yep. to be in those bleachers at that exact spot where Mickey Kaline uh, hits his baseball? 
Scott Arnold's. And as the uh, as the announcer says, and the ball is caught by a little boy with a football shaped head. Look at that weird little kid run. <laughs> Uh, it cuts back to the boarding house where everybody's watching K-Line's last game, and Gertie, because she's Gertie, just shouts, KILL THE UMPIRE! <laughs> Context-free. I think she's anti-fascist. Uh, I think this is a plan to kill the Empire. Uh, mm. She's actually calling for revolution. Okay. But nobody is I'll paying attention to I mean, Gertie, Gertie, is, because... Gertie is calling for revolution at all times. Exactly. Know this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gertie is a pure anarchist. Um, so Arnold has a little piece of history. He comes home. Everybody wants a piece of his piece. They are offering him. And see, here's the thing. Mr. Green and Ernie, uh, what's Ernie's last name? Potts. Do we know? Potts. Potts, thank you. Mr. Green and Ernie were talking mad shit on K-Line at the beginning of the episode. They were talking about how he's a bum, he's washed up, rah, rah, rah. And Arnold comes home with this this holy relic of his faith, this piece of his true cross. And all of them are like, hey, Arnold, well, I'll buy it from you. I'll give you $400 and all the rump roast you can eat. And he says, no, thank you. I will keep this because you fuckers don't appreciate it. So he has his ball. They see on the same little TV there that there's an interview with Kaline, and in a very serious moment, uh, he talks about how he has really mixed feelings about retiring. He's gonna miss baseball a whole lot. He's been doing it his whole life, and the reporter breaks down crying, and it is not played for laughs. I don't even remember that. I don't remember that. Yeah, the reporter breaks down in tears because he's, you know, he's a sports reporter. He's been doing this his entire career, and now one of the, you know, major players of his world is stepping down. So later that night, Arnold is in bed. He's tossing the ball up into the air and catching it in that way that if you try to do it in real life, the ball definitely falls and hits you in the face. Yeah. Um, Grandpa comes up Casey, and says, what's eating you, short man? Casey, I need to stop you. I don't think what's these up? are universal truths. I think you're just not very good at sports. <laughs> Look, I think, Thony, 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 I think as an asthmatic only child, I think my experience is kind of the platonic ideal of childhood life. And I think if my experiences aren't widely applicable, the fault does not lie with me. It is, it is, I am not to blame that my path, the path upon which I was set is the default human path. Okay. And if some kid was able to lie on his back and toss a ball in the air without it coming down and cracking him on the schnoz, then you know what? It's not my fault that kid is divergent. He can have his own story, but don't act like that's how it's supposed to go, because it's not. You're supposed to try to imitate Hey Arnold every day of your life. You're supposed to try to be as cool as Arnold Shortman and fail every step of the way. You're supposed to try to do cool front-facing black backflips and crack your back on the water so hard that you get blisters afterward, okay? So fuck off. Don't tell me... Did you once befriend a crazy person with a bunch of birds? <laughs> I don't think the question is, did I? I think the question is, how many times? And how long did it take me before I realized it wasn't going to go like it did in the show? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> uh, Phil comes in, and he incepts Arnold to give Mickey K-Line the ball, and they go to the field so he can... And, uh, Arnold catches him and they have a real, a real conversation. Arnold gives him the ball and he says, thanks kid. No, 
Thank you, Mr. K-Line. Hey, kid. And they'd start to play toss, and then K-Line tells him some baseball stories. And we have the outro. There's there's the sting at the end of every episode where the credits come up, and the outro theme is played on stadium organ. Yep. On the net, net. Nah, nah, organ, which is yeah. so good. They didn't have to do that. It's like Bob's Burgers that have a new song every week. That was just something they wanted to do because it made them happy, and they did it, and I'm so glad. Uh, final thoughts on this episode? I don't know, dude. I was taking a drink of water. Uh, my uh, final thoughts are that it's really good. Um, I don't have any particular yen for baseball, uh, but I understand the... Symbolism and the moving parts of seeing one of your gods depart from the world and how that's a part of growing up. Um, you know, Dan Harmon talked in Harmontown after Harold Ramis died. He said, you know, I'm seeing all these people I know and love from my childhood die, and I keep thinking, when will it end? When will it end? And then I realize, I'm 40. It's not going to end. This yeah. isn't high tide. This is sea level now. Yeah. And growing up, growing up is slowly losing your heroes as they die or they or they fade away from the stage. And so I, I think this was kind of a bittersweet one. But uh, and this is my final thought, and I I don't like like I mean we've done it a few times talking about future episodes, but uh, yeah. this is not the last time we'll see of Mickey K line. And uh, every time, know. every time Mickey K line comes back in this show. Uh, it's the same dynamic. Uh, I, I like. I'm, who cares? This is spoilers, and this is like a late, late season episode. Nobody's going to remember me talking yeah. about this uh, when they actually get to the episode. Uh, but there's an episode later on, unless, I think they're, it's unless they're binge listening this <laughs> later, later on in the season, a uh, series called uh, Dangerous Lumber, in which Arnold becomes really sure. good at hitting baseballs, but every time he hits a baseball, he hurts somebody. Uh, oh, so that's so good. He goes to a hot dog restaurant that Mickey Kaline has opened up. Uh, Mickey Kaline gives him. That's oh, by the way, good. Mickey Kaline is is one of the only good, actual good human being adults in this show. He is not awful. Okay. He is not a bad person. He is actually a good person. Unlike every other All fucking right. adult in this entire show, except for Mr. Simmons. Mr. Simmons and Mickey Kaline. If you're a child and you're watching this, uh, those are the two people you should look up to. Those should be your heroes. Yes. Uh, they are Emulate really those two straight white men. Yeah. So, uh, no, no, Mr. Simmons is straight. straight. What am I saying? Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, Mickey K. opens up a hot dog restaurant, gives Arnold advice about, right. about how, how to deal with his problem. A wienery. Uh, Arnold. Yeah. Hits the ball. It's a home run. Guess who's in the right exact spot to catch his home run? Oh my god. Oh my god, he catches the home run. Oh, symmetry. Yes, please. Guess what happens? He He gets real hurt. He gets hurt. He comes up to Arnold. He says, Hey, uh, this is the home run ball you get today. Oh my god. It's like I thought you wanted to have it. And the episode ends with them playing playing catch and Arnold regaling him about his baseball stories. Oh, I, I really hate ends. to like so I, good. I really hate to spoil this for you guys, especially if you haven't watched it. But it's why I love yeah, this no, Mickey no Kaline episode so much because uh like fair. you've heard me talk about this, how much I hate the adults on this show. And that that hate is right. only gonna grow grow as the characters develop. Uh because yeah, there are, are some pretty, creatures. pretty bad episodes. 
Uh, the Gerald Field episode. Wait, you know who else good. is pretty good? You know who else is pretty good? Mr. Wynn. Yeah, Mr. Wynn is. No, Mr. Wynn's pretty shitty too. He's, he, he is has he? a daughter. He's sad. But then, do you remember, like, the, there becomes an episode, like, there becomes a point where everybody at the boarding house fucking hates each other. And there's never, like, like, any, so, oh, and they all accosted him, beat him up to try to steal Mr. Smith's fucking secret presence. The photo. Uh, the photo. Right. Did we already do that episode? His or, treasure. Or not? I don't think so. Uh, Maybe. Anyway. I don't know. It's been too long. <laughs> yeah. At any uh, rate. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see. What's, what's our, what's our next episode here, Thony? Uh, Ring up the Hulu. So why don't you go, uh, why don't you go ahead oh, and, uh, feed a, feed a, uh, feed a cracker snow. to the bird that opens it's, up your internet. It's, it's heat and snow. It's the heat wave and the snowstorm. I remember the heat wave episode. I remember that a lot. Um, uh, for this, a couple of reasons. Uh, the snowstorm one is the one where Arnold just wants to have a good snow day and, and his, Grandpa is a giant piece of shit, uh, which, like we talk about, is all, all the adults are in this entire series. I do not remember the Snow Day episode even a little bit. I might when we watch it, but I remember, for some reason, the Heat Wave episode is one I saw a lot as a kid, and I have uh, some very particular feelings about it that I'm, that I'm excited about. The Heat Wave episode is the episode well, where the Jolly Ollie Man finally has... Uh, the breakdown to end all breakdowns and is never the same. Oh shit, so, really? Yes. Oh, I re- see. I remember that, but I didn't know that was that episode because the Jolly Ollie Man is an ever lurking threat over all of them. Yeah, he's a sociopath who could be anywhere at any time. But but like like if you watch episodes before this episode, the times he's in, he's just this kind of kooky ice cream man. But but uh, post the heat wave, he is never. Uh, the same kind of person, but Never you can quite find the same. all about this next time uh, on the Gerald Field Report. Uh, we'll be talking about the Gerald Field Report themed episodes. Yeah, whether you want us to or not, we hope that you do. So until then, listeners, uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, I don't know what our Twitter handle is yet, because I haven't made it yet, because this is a project we are pointing it's towards the future, a light that we are hoping to fling Gerald, into the darkness. At the Gerald Field Reporter, at Gerald Field Reporter, at Gerald Field Something similar. Depending. Search for Gerald Field Report. You'll probably find it. Yeah, um, you can go to our other shows. You can listen to me and our buddy Nick uh, read Sherlock Holmes stories and discuss them over at The Final Podblum. You can listen to our buddy Dylan and our buddy Christina and I play D&D over at Dice and Virtue. And who knows, by the time this comes up, a little something special that our buddy Nigel Thony and I are working on might be hitting the airwaves. Keep your ears peeled. So, uh, until then, tell a friend. Or don't. Just sit in your home and watch Hey Arnold all night, <laughs> like six-year-old Casey did. Because my experience is universal, Tony, and I will not be dissuaded on this. Yep, Casey, you have the universal experience. Every single child's uh, childhood uh, is based directly off your childhood. Nobody played video games I am together. every man. Nobody knew that no. you could actually trade Pokemon between Pokemon games. Ridiculous. No, they should just give you all the Pokemon in the one game. Speaking of yeah. which, which one are you playing? Uh, Sword. Uh, yeah, I me too. I fucking love that game. Like, it's probably one of the best it's Pokemon pretty games good, I've dude. It's a, it's a very good refinement of its mechanisms and ideas. Uh, there are a couple things about it I don't 
really love um the fact that for me because like i started out on red and blue as i think a lot of people did for me gold and silver were like the, the definitive best. generation that's 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 that that was to me was the peak of the art form and after that it's just gotten more complicated and less necessary like i don't like getting lost in them big towns i want there to be three buildings that all look the same and i could just go to them it's fine yeah. but uh overall it is a very good game and i'm enjoying it a lot so tweet at us listeners let us know what game which one of these games from several years ago by the time you listen to this you're playing <laughs> Tell me which starter you have. Right. Tell me why that starter is Sobble, because yes. Sobble is the best starter. No, what is wrong with you? It is Score Bunny, my friend. No, no. Have you seen the evolutions yes. yet? So, so I Sobble, Sobble starts out as a sad child, evolves into Correct. an emo like teen, evolves into an emo okay. teen, and his third evolution is Theater Goth. And I'm not joking. It's Look at them. Good. Look at them. And that is exactly what it is. Uh, and then I think okay. Rookie or whatever the, the, the grass type is also fucking awesome because he just okay. evolves as a drummer. Like, like he's got drumsticks that's, that's and then actually. he's got this giant beefy afro, like, like with the drum okay. kind of thing. So wait a minute. If you had all three starters somehow through some trading magic or similar, what you could do theoretically is just evolve them all and then you would have my chemical romance for their reunion which is upcoming shortly <laughs> I, I guess i have no idea what scar buddy turns into he seems pretty boring i don't either in general as his i like it a bunny it's a good bunny and I, I did let him evolve at first and he turned into like a ninja guy he had a shirt pulled over his face which is a weird thing for a bunny's body to produce but who am i to judge um but then i just i i rebooted that because i didn't want him to evolve i wanted him to stay a tiny bunny who grew very quickly and spit fire at my enemies like on a diss track wow you play well listeners these games um, really weird do you, do you usually <laughs> do you usually not do you usually not evolve your starters uh no, I just I let him I let him I trail him out a little bit. Like I'll usually let him evolve once I get him into the twenties, maybe just just to like get over that initial. Because once they evolve, they start growing so much more slowly. And if you're if you're still at the level you're probably at, like th there aren't going to be enough powerful chompers around to really to really level a more evolved form. I don't know. But as we have discussed, the way I'd play Pokemon is perfect because I am the platonic ideal child, and so my methods and strategies are how the games were meant to be played. Every time you mention the platonic ideal, all I, all I think about is that uh, Dream Girl, Captain Laserbeam's Captain Laser former partner, is now with the platonic ideal. Uh, oh god. How much I miss uh, the thrilling adventure hour. Uh, which I do too. The, the new series isn't as good because it's not actor, black, or writing. Definitely. Yet not been listening to it um at blacker wrote uh, a comic book uh called hex wives that was uh about some witches who were tricked and trapped into being like 50s style housewives and breaking out of that it was an interesting idea i read it that's about all i have to say about it <laughs> I, I really wish the pilot they, they wrote a pilot for a beyond belief actual tv show uh that never got anywhere. yes uh, which I wish. More well, of course, it didn't happen. go anywhere because how could you? You couldn't do it without Paul F. Tompkins, and he is on three podcasts at once on any given day. Yeah, but he still is an actor. He still acts in things. Nah, it's only podcasts or acting. Yeah. That's all it is. Exactly. So says Casey. Yeah, you got to choose between the two. Entire life is the blueprint for all civilization. 
I'm just saying, like, look, when you're when you're Adam Cadmon, when you are the primeval human, you are the plan that is laid out for humanity. I really don't like this corner you've backed me into, though. I feel like this is a very narrow vision, like eugenics thing. Yep, this is exactly what it is, guys. Uh, no! Stay tuned for Casey Hill's uh, Platonic Ideal uh, podcast, in which Casey will Platonic talk about ideals. how his entire life forms the blueprint for all humanity. We will explore major historical saying. events uh, each and every episode and talk about how yep. it directly relates to Casey's life and how it was inspired by <laughs> Casey's life. Uh, right here, Battle on of the Bulge. The, I wasn't there. Doesn't matter. Smashing <laughs> about it. It's fine. Podcast network. <laughs> Anyways, yes. uh, we are taking uh, you... you guys with our nonsense. We've already told everybody that. Yep. Um, anything else we want to plug before we go? No, I don't think so. You can tweet at us. You can find me at Hoteltheotokos. You can find me at a pronounceable Twitter handle. You can find me at Hotel Theotokos. You can find Thony at El Chupacabra Deluxe. That's D-L-X, not Deluxe. D-L-X. Yes. And until then... Um, no, wait. We gotta think of a good sign-off. What's a good sign-off for this? Uh, stay groovy, chicky baby. Yep, there it is. Stay groovy, chicky babies. And chicky grown-ups. And Chick-fil-A's. No, they don't get to stay anything. No, not Chick-fil-A's. They don't get to stay anything because they won't stay anything. They make promises they clearly never intended to keep. If we talk for 60 more seconds, our episode will be exactly an hour and a half long. Wait, no, you're editing out a bunch of stuff. Son of a bitch. Never mind. Doesn't matter. But still, we must go. All right. right. We love you, listeners. We'll talk to you next time. Stay groovy. Bye.